Hey, this is Tim Seeley, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Raider Nation, Josh. Hey, what's up, man? I'm actually wearing my Manchester United jersey today. It doesn't matter, it's black. <laughs> we have the guy in the back of the classroom with his head on the desk, CBS. That's, I guess, because I sleep through things. Is that normal? You do sleep through a lot of things. That's true. That's very true. Well, welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, everybody. We're doing uh, episode number 106 today. This is my first one. I'm pretty stoked. Thanks for having me. Oh, silly monkey. Oh, my God. start again. No, we're not starting again. We already did that once. All right. So today we're going to be doing uh, Detective Comics number 974. Nailed it. And following that with uh, Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock number one. And then the following that we'll have Legendary Red Sonya number one from Dynamite Comics. Then we have the uh, Marvel 2-in-1 issue number three. And we ended up with Sideways from uh, DC Comics, the uh, New Age of Heroes. The book's just called Sideways, but that's what they're calling this whole new batch of character thing. So after we go through those books, uh, we got an interview from Mr. Ian Flynn uh, at the Denver Comic Con uh, last year, 2017. Ian Flynn, you know him from Sonic Comics, uh, previously of Archie, and now moved on to IDW. So we're going to run that here at the end of the show. Uh, since we don't have Ross today, we won't have the dog pile, but we do have some news. So you ready for some news? Ready for some news. All right. So if you've been paying attention to Marvel Comics, like, I haven't at, at all in the last <laughs> five years, which might be true still, uh, then you're aware that Wolverine, well, was dead. Um, and since then he's reappeared and we've had this whole batch of hunt for Wolverine showing up in random books where he sort of cameos, but it's not like a story element. It's like a random, he's just in the background or something. Anyhow, well, we know there's going to be a Wolverine or Hunt for Wolverine issue one that's coming out. It's a one shot written by Charles Soule. Now that's going to be followed up by a four part mini series, and it's set up to where each issue is set up in different genre. Apparently, all four of the issues are supposed to line up at some point to solve the mystery of Wolverine's death or Wolverine's return. That's the mystery. Anyhow, so the first one of that list. At least as it is right now. Granted, this is like four or five months away still, so that might all change. Anyway, okay, so the first one of those is listed as Weapon Lost, and it's going to be by Charles Soule and Matteo Belfania? Belfani? Sure. I'm not sure how to say it. Anyway, it's supposed to be set up like a noir detective story, so if you're writing the noir books, it's supposed to be like, that's what it's supposed to be set up as. Crime noir? I assume so. I mean, it didn't say that in the description, but if it's a noir detective story, I, what else other kind of detective story is there? Right. Uh, the second one is Animantium Agenda, and that's uh, by Tom Taylor and R.B. Silva. And it's supposed to be action-adventure, which I assume most comic books were anyway, but okay. Uh, the third one is Claws of the Killer, and this is by Mariko Tamaki and uh, Butch Glace, I believe, is what it was. It is supposed to be a horror story, like horror, like prostitute. No, no, like like scary, like Freddy Krueger, Friday Thirteenth style, like horror, horror. 
story. Like Monster Squad? Yes. No, that's more, I don't know, is that really horror? It's more, I think that's more action comedy. When's somebody going to remake that movie? That's a good question. It's unfortunate that that hasn't happened because it's fan-freaking-tastic. And if you haven't seen the Monster Squad, what is wrong with you? Exactly. Seriously. The fourth installment is supposed to be Mystery of Madri- Mis- excuse me, Mystery in Madripoor. God, that was harder to see than I thought it was going to be. And this is uh, Jim Zub, which, I mean, he's a fan of the show. Well, we are a fan of his. He has emailed me to correct me on how to say certain names before, so that was pretty cool. Anyway, Jim Zub, awesome writer. Uh, and Chris Bacello, or Bacchiello, I'm not sure how to say his name. Bacello, maybe? He's done a lot of Uncanny X-Men. If you were reading the Doctor Strange series, the current Doctor Strange series, he did like the first 17 issues of it. He's freaking fantastic, so he's an awesome artist. All the stories are supposed to reveal clues to the mystery behind Wolverine's return. So I guess as you read them, each of the stories can be read as one-shots, but they're all supposed to pepper pieces that are the answer to how his return happened. Which, I mean, we kind of saw images of it, in Marvel, Leg- Marvel Marvel Legacy one, but there wasn't really any like reasoning behind it. It didn't make any. It was just pictures, which is what comic books are. So what am I complaining about? Uh, so there's that, which that should be pretty interesting. Some neat stuff. Um, as far as other miniseries is happening, we're gonna have this uh, new Lando miniseries called Lando Double or Nothing, and this is supposed to be an event that takes place right know. before the new Solo movie. So the couple covers they have out, it's very much Lando from the solo movies. So, so he won't be drinking Colt 45 because he's not old enough yet? I would assume, you know, I think he's probably old enough. They live out in space. The rules are different. Are they, though? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Pretty sure. Be like living in Europe. If 15, <laughs> you're fine. Exactly the same thing. No different. So, like, cover-wise, at least the way he's drawn is is much like, uh, what's that guy's name in the movie? Who's playing Lando? Donald Glover. Yes, there you go. So Donald Glover-esque. Anyhow, they don't have an announced artist yet, but it's supposed to be Rodney Barnes that's writing it. And it's going to be a five-part mini. So that one's also supposed to kick off like a batch of other miniseries that are somehow connected to Solo. So I guess we're going to get at least one that's like Solo character-based, so like a Solo book. I mean, that makes as much sense as anything else. But that one should be really cool. Um, that one's probably not going to be solicited till. April, because I don't think it's due to come out till either right before May or the month after, because the movie comes out in May, so chances are the book won't actually drop till probably June or July. Anyhow, so that should be really cool. Titan Comics has a new series getting ready to come out. They're going to do another Doctor Who series, because that's what we need another of. However, this particular one is going to be the ongoing series of the 13th Doctor. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, this is the first female Doctor Who who had her series show debut like sometime last year. The thing that's cool about it, it's going to be Jodie Hauser writing it. And if you know Mother Panic or Faith, like she's an awesome writer. Um, she's great. And then uh, artist-wise, it's going to be uh, Rachel Scott, which I don't recognize her name, but as far as series are concerned, I mean, Jodie's awesome, so nothing else in the writing would be great. But it's supposed to launch sometime this fall. Following that... We had some other cool, this and this back to Marvel news, I guess. And this, I think this is cool just because of the era that I'm from, I guess. So Chris Claremont is going to be returning to the X-Men. He's going to be writing one of the stories in the all new X-Men wedding special. So they're doing a, uh, which if you don't know, this is going to be a pretty big, like, it's not a spoiler. I mean, big reveal. It's a big reveal. Yes. Who's getting married? 
Kitty Pride and Colossus. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that should be pretty cool. So they're going to be doing a book. Now, the actual wedding is not going to happen in the special. The special is like a companion to the regular, to the actual wedding. And the actual wedding is going to be in X-Men Gold. So if you're not following X-Men Gold and you care about these two characters or getting this issue, it's going to be issue 30 from X-Men Gold. You should probably tell your retailers that you want to get it prior to it being a thing because it hasn't been solicited yet. So timing-wise, this special is going to happen as a one-shot. And it's got the clearest Claremont story, which is all new material. It's going to have a couple other writers in it, too, so we, we know we, that they're going to have Greg Land doing something and uh, Kelly Thompson writing something and Mark Gustavio writing something. So there's going to be it's going to be an anthology, so like a whole bunch of little stories in one big book. But they're all supposed to be stories that pepper to the event of issue 30. So that should be really cool. The majority of the people they're supposed to be working on it haven't been announced because I guess the book's going to be a 48-page giant. So as far as length of Claremont story, we don't know that yet, but... It's Chris Claremont, so if you ever read the X-Men in the 90s, you read stuff he wrote, which is awesome, because he's awesome. So on the other side of the pond, over DC, I mean, this is all really comic news. Normally, we have nonsense and TV, which I do have some TV stuff in a minute, too. I have some sweet TV stuff, too. That's cool. So Brian Michael Bendis, um, we've talked about multiple times on the show. I mean, he's been a staple over Marvel for the last, I don't know, 20 years. Well, we know he's moving over to DC. And we know he's going to be taking over Action Comics and regular Superman. And then doing his own, like, Superman story, which I guess is going to run before those two. It's a separate uh, miniseries. Well, now we know that the end issues for both Superman and Action are going to be super specials. So we're going to have Superman special number one, which is Peter Demasi and Black Gleason finishing off their, their run on Superman, which has been fantastic. I mean, if you read any of the Superman stuff this last, I don't know, three, four years, well, three years, one, two, three. Two, two and a half years. It's been awesome. And Gleason and Tomasi, they're both fantastic, regardless of what they're working on. They're awesome. I didn't read any of it. It was great. It was really good. I barely know how to read, so. That's not totally true. I don't like Superman without red underoos, so. Well, you're going to get that back pretty soon, so. Anyhow, so the Superman special is going to return the, uh, return Superman to the Dinosaur Island, which we saw like in issue eight, I think. And it's going to have a couple different things happen in the book. So it's because it's a special and a big one. It's not all one story. So there's going to be a Dinosaur Island story and like two other small stories. One done with John Kent, which should be cool. But the Dinosaur Island story is also going to contain Captain Storm from The Losers. And there's a lot of theory that's going to bring him back into the universe. If you know who that is, if you never point to The Losers, it probably doesn't mean anything to you. But as a character returned from like the dead, that should be freaking awesome. And then the action comic specials. Teasing the possibility of the death of Lex Luthor, which, I mean, death in comics is one, you know, thing that doesn't matter anymore thanks to death of Superman. But as far as, like, a setup, like, the tiling for it is, like, the legacy and life and times of Lex Luthor. So they're teasing the idea that it may be a death issue, which could be really cool. I mean, it's Dan Jurgens writing it, and he did write part of the death of Superman, so. Well, maybe they'll bring back Lex Luthor, too. Remember that? Like, when he like impersonated himself but as his oh, son man well hey that's what the movies are trying to do back around like when the death of superman happened dan yeah. jurgens wrote that and he had like the flowing red locks and he did when supergirl was his concubine and all that it's weird those are weird stories they're great though but you know what because it is dan jurgens and jurgens while he's he's actually done inter- or, uh, interviews on the show a couple times awesome dude but he does go back to the well that's true so it's very possible we get the Flowing Lock Les Luther Jr. in order to iron out the crappy movie, Jr.? Maybe. Mm, 
maybe there's hope for Eisenberg yet. No, there's not. There's not. No, there's not. Absolutely not. The only hope for him is to do a Zombie Land too. Right. Yeah. Stick with what you're good at, guy. Be the other Michael Sarah. It's fine. <laughs> you're good at it. That's what. You, stick to what you're good at. Um. So TV news. Do you want to go first? Says not. We're not talking about the same thing. We're probably talking about the same thing. You go ahead. I'll let you go ahead first. It's about the new Cobra Kai. TV show that's going to be on YouTube Red. That wasn't what I was going to talk about, but we have talked about it before. Go on. I am so excited for that. <laughs> Down on his luck, Johnny reopens Cobra Kai dojos. Oh, yeah. And Danielson being like all like heartbroken over the death of Mr. Miyagi, and he's trying to like tell Johnny that he's too good for that. Well, at this point, they're both grown up, and like we, we understand that, at least from what I read about the story last, is apparently Daniel's children have decided that they, they want to be in uh, karate and stuff, and uh, it's not cool to hang out with Dad, so they're going to go to the Cobra Kai dojo, and Johnny will be their master. I wonder if it's Elizabeth Shue's kids, <laughs> I if don't... he's the mom, or she's the mom. That would be interesting if it was. Or if it's the weird Asian girl from Karate Kid 2, <sighs> or if it's the weird girl from Karate Kid 3 that make makes all the pots. It's possible. I don't know which one it is, because they haven't said, like, name drop-wise, the only names they confirmed as being part of it initially was the guy who played Johnny, whose name I don't remember. Really, was, Zapka? Yeah, Zapka. Awesome dude. Super nice, actually. And then, uh, why do I remember the- Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. There you go. So those two are confirmed to be in it, and they've been toting the press for it. Anyway, when I was talking to Zapka out in Salt Lake City last year, uh, not Salt Lake City, Colorado Springs last year, uh, he said they were pushing for a summer release this year. So that should be freaking awesome, except it's on YouTube Red, and they're trying so hard to make that a thing. But it might be worth it for this, maybe. Because one of us buy it. One of us buy it, and then we'll all just watch it. That'll be awesome. Or just steal it like most people do these days. That's true. That's 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 true. That was not what I was going to talk about at all. Although this right here will pique your interest, sir. So... According to sources over at Netflix, Umbrella Academy started filming. If you don't know Umbrella Academy, I mean, I know we mentioned it before on the show, especially with this, all this young animal stuff happening, that Gerard Way's, the first couple books he wrote were the Umbrella Academy books, and they're freaking awesome. They're still toting a third volume, Hotel Oblivion, sometime this summer, maybe? It's slated for 2018, that doesn't mean anything, because we haven't seen any art or any presentation for it, but it's very possible. The show itself, like, there's there's a bunch of stuff on IMDb now, like cast list or whatever, but people that sort of be names you might recognize. Um, Adam Goldie is going to be playing Pogo, which you don't know who Pogo is. He's the assistant chimp monkey. <laughs> and uh, then Calm Fairy, Farah? Fieri? Fieri, there you go. Guy Fieri? No. Calm. Oh. Calm. I got excited for a minute. No, no, a different guy. He's the dude who was Lalfi in the Thor movies, which it puts him underneath a whole lot of makeup. So would you recognize him? Probably well, not. Isn't one of the Thor writers going to be the is a writer on this show? He's supposed to be. Yeah, one of the writers is from the Thor from the Thor movies, uh, but he's playing Sir Reginald uh, Harrowgraves. So he's playing the, the doctor that adopts the kids. So the setup basically the way it works is we have a rich guy who. Basically adopts a bunch of orphan children, and then it turns out they all have a bunch of crazy powers. And that basically moves forward Umbrella Academy. Anyhow, uh, Ellen Page is tied to it, and so is Mary J. Blige. Like, what exactly Mary J. Blige is doing? Don't know. Uh, Ellen Page is supposed to be uh, Vanya. So, I guess we'll see. Like, cast-wise, there's a whole list of people that are supposedly tied to it now. But yeah, I guess it started filming according to... The Netflix stuff. Sometime this, I know it's already filming, uh, somewhere out in Ohio. So, 
It's slated to start coming out sometime this year. Netflix turns stuff out pretty quick. That should be freaking awesome. Into it. Uh, so was there anything else, news-wise? I don't think so. Okay. It's big news that I'm here today. Yeah, well, that's, that's a different thing. I mean, they know I think, that already. I think today, like, begins the golden age of Top 5 Commas podcasting. <laughs> that's like self-prophecy. You know what I don't like about Jeff Johns? Self-prophecy. The guy's a great writer, but issue 20 of Green Lantern... Half it didn't exist. <laughs> Self-prophecy. Rat bastard. Yeah, you hate so many things, though. That's true. It's hard to keep them all well, you gotta get sorted your out. you got to get a checklist. Start carrying around your back pocket. Um, so let's go and move on to, I guess, move on to Detective Comics. I don't have any other new stuff to really uh, blight the world with. So, Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. So Detective Comics 974... Um, are we allowed to do spoilers and tell them what happens and everything? Well, we kind of run through the books, aren't you? We go all so Batman dies. That's not true. He blows up. No, you don't feed lies. You feed lies and people don't trust you. You can't feel lies. People, people don't trust me anyway. That's true, but they can't see your face. It's it's audio, so they don't know not to trust you. And radio handsome. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I don't think that's how you say that. Maybe. That's the joke. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, no, the trust thing. Okay. Detective Comics number 974. My God. Uh, this is, uh, written by James Tinian III. And, uh, the artist on it is, uh, Philip, uh, Bronze. Um, art's good. Artist is concerned. I don't, I don't recognize him for anything else, but I'm sure the guy's done work, so it's good. If you have been reading Detective Comics, you know the last issue to do on just before this is a really big, like, crazy event happen. Which is going to make part of this book disjointed for you if you have no idea what happened in the book before it. So if you're just starting here, things seem a little off. We do open up kind of right at the end of what just happened. And what we open up to is Cassandra Kane sitting in the street holding a half-human clay face. And uh, he's not in good shape. Like at all. Well, he's dead, isn't he? The, that would be the, that would be the truth. Yeah. And, uh, we have all the other, well, we have, we have all the other, like, underlings, so Stephanie and, uh, Tim Drake both show up on the scene, they're both freaking out, like, what happened? And Stephanie's very, like, doesn't understand what's going on, and Tim's like, no, I know what happened. From there, we're joined by the doctor, and she, what she's been doing the past few issues is work on a cure for Clayface. And at this point, she was pretty close to one. When she shows up, she starts examining his body, and of course, Cassandra's freaking out, because over the past, like, I don't know, five issues. Cassandra and Clayface have a particular connection. Like, the both of them understand being a monster, and Cassandra made a bunch of mistakes when she was young, when her father was using her as an assassin and doing all the mother stories. So, she understands trying to be better from being what was a villain. And she wasn't a super villain type, but she did do a lot of things that were... She did kill. Not Batman-friendly. Yeah. And so her and Clayface have a particular bond that's different than the rest of the kids because Tim never was there, Stephanie was really never there, Nightwing was really never, never, never there. Uh, I guess Cassandra, or I guess Batwoman would have been the only other one that was sort of like that before, but even her, she wasn't that level when she was connected to the military and stuff. Anyhow, so Cassandra's super pissed and really not happy with the situation. And from there we wind up joining the hunt, or the Batwoman on top of a building, and she says, uh, that one tonight's target is down. And at that point, she's joined by Batman, who is super pissed. 
And he grabs the gun she had with her, which she got from her father. So her father, who's been trying to destroy the Bat Clan for the past, I don't know, ten issues, and has been all about rooting them out and getting her to join his side, destroys the gun and basically tells her to quit getting orders. And from there, it turns into a free-for-all in the building with the two of them basically yelling at each other about what she did. And even though Batman's can understand what was, what, what was happening or why she did it, he's not happy with her. And, of course, she lashes out just like a spoiled kid would with the whole, oh, I just did what was right. You just couldn't get the job done. And that leaves her being joined by Tim and everyone else. And Tim lays it out to her that he can understand why now the future him has come to kill her because she's not one of them and she doesn't fit. Because the one thing they don't do is they don't kill regardless. And from there, of course, Cassandra slaps her around a little bit, tears, tears her shirt or tears her emblem off her chest and tells her that the emblem means something, that it's special, and that she didn't deserve it. And Batman basically tells her she needs to uh, take a break. And she's excused. And, of course, that leads to a rifling between the group. Because not only are we dealing with, like, Cassandra, Batman, the only ones really not there is is Nightwing and Damien. The two of them are off doing Teen Titans and Titan stuff. So, group-wise, everybody else is there. Because we have uh, Azrael and we have Batwing there, too. And Batwing and Azrael are both of the opinion that Batwoman did what she had to do. There was no other option. But Lucas, you you can understand him simply because he's from a military background, too. And Azrael, well, I mean, he's got a totally different background as well. So it almost draws a line between the whole group. As far as setup, as we've been reading the backstory things, we're pretty sure that's what was designed to happen anyway. We'll leave a couple more gaps in there, just that way there's pieces that you weren't given. Uh, we get a kind of cool wrap-up for the uh, Batman annual or not Batman, sorry, Detective Annual. So if you read the Detective Annual, it's kind of a backstory of uh, Clayface, and then we get to introduce the idea of people. He's a couple of people he's hurt, and initially his girlfriend that was, she wasn't an actor, she was like a PA on movies. She was one of the first people that he changed without meaning to change, and she's been disfigured since then. Anyhow, we get the cure provided to her by the doctor, and... Afterwards, the doctor tells her, even though I'm not happy with you, because she did some other stuff that was pretty questionable on the previous issue, she understands, he tells her, I understand what he wanted. He wanted to save you, because he always felt bad for what he did, but he couldn't control himself. So there's a really cool resolution there. If you read the detective story, then this piece here is a big part of that story. Anyhow, pretty neat. Uh, as far as everything connecting together, it was really pretty cool. There's a really pretty big thing that happens at the end of this book also, uh, with Tim and Batman, which is super important i think moving forward and then there's even a bigger reveal at the very very end of the book um which has to do with uh that woman so issue wise a lot of crazy things happen in this book a lot of tim drake i was a big fan of that yeah there's a lot of tim drake which is awesome as far as like set up and pay off all together like we see a lot of tim's tim's flaws but they're not the same as when they first started new 52 when they first started new 52 they kind of failed with him since then, we've dialed him back in a little bit, and while he doesn't quite act like most of us expect him to from the old books, he's doing better. And we get a lot of stuff with him and Stephanie in here, too, which is things that if you read the pre-New 52 books, you'd enjoy a lot. Uh, anyway, score-wise, one out of five, I, I give it a four and a half. It's a pretty strong book. As far as story, the way it connects to other things, the way it reels back in the, the Detective Annual, really impressed me. So that's why I give the score I, I gave it. And, like, the way the characters interact with each other is what the whole driving of this book is. So, I thought it was freaking awesome. Um, so, yeah, four and a half. Uh, Josh, you got a score for that book? Um, I gave it a solid three. 
I mean, I was a little bit behind. And I haven't been reading Batman really, so um, I really don't like the new, like how downplayed they've made Tim Drake in the new Fifty Two. That really bothers me, so it makes me a hard time to score it in a positive way. But seeing Tim in there is good. Just any Tim is good for me. So I give it a three. Cool. It's a kind of it's 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 kind of not a good jumping on point, and that's what I was doing basically. So. Right. Yeah, I I give you if you started here you'd 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 be lost because there's a lot of stuff that's happened and while you can piece together what happened just before, if you didn't read a, any of the other stories, like how these characters are acting doesn't make a lot of sense. Because uh, you don't get the backstory between why Cassandra cares so much that Clayface is now dead on the floor. And as far as Tim and Stephanie, I mean, well that's constantly the involving thing, they're kids well sort of kid drama style, but the rest of it it, without the other pieces, it does make this one hard by itself. I definitely give it that. All right. Uh, let's move on to, uh, issue, uh, number one of the uh, Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock. Yeah, I was actually really stoked on this. I'm a huge Adam Warlock fan. I have been since I was young. When I first read Infinity Gauntlet, way, way back when I was a wee tyke, like nine years old. And, uh, it became fascinated with the character and, I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've really seen him since the Guardians book when he fought Magus and died. If I'm wrong, write into the Facebook page or email us or whatever and tell me I'm wrong so I can tell you how much I don't care. Because um, I really don't. <laughs> you know, go t- talk it up, whatever. You know, be internet trolls. That's what people do these days. But yeah, anyway, Adam Warlock, he just starts right off. He's just back, like first page. He's like, bam, and he's hanging out with Kane. And Kane thinks he is the master of time. Well, this is Kane the Conqueror, who who is he's the master of time. This is a uh, I want to say the art was done by Mike Allred. Yeah, and I want to say which is a weirdly an amazing fit. He's got his kind of signature lightning bolt, like from Madman. Yeah, but yeah, but I don't know it's a fantastic book. I was really into it, and curious to see where this goes because I really love Guardians. I love all the space stuff. I like I liked Jim Starlin a lot. I like reading his things when I was younger, and he uh, gets sent on a mission by Kang to go find the Soul Gem and the Time Gem, and gets sent back to ancient Egypt to when Kang the Conqueror was still just a, a pharaoh, which I didn't know that about him. Kang stabs in the back with a knife, and that's how puts him in a tomb, and that's how he is going to get to present day, 2018, to look for the soul gem so reunite adam with his his uh his one and only his soul gem so he can go take many vacations in his own <laughs> in his own brain which i thought was a little weird but yeah we'll see where that goes i'm not going to give too much away because it's like i want people to really enjoy this there's one weird scene in here where it's just there's a wolverine adamantium skeleton there's a magneto helmet a zorn helmet just weird kind of like the body of vision yeah, it's a bunch of relics, and I thought that was interesting. So I gave it a solid four and a half. Right on. Yeah, I went, as far as books, like for being like a kickoff or something, like it's a, it's a pretty good issue. Like, and I'm not, I think uh, Mike Allred when he's when he's in the right place, he does just fine, art wise. Uh, this is this book was also written by Jerry Duggan. So if you read Deadpool, then you know who then you know him writing wise. But yeah, as far as like things to go over, King the Conqueror is always 
he's one of those that he either shows up and he's just straight up villain or he shows up and he's like, I'm going to lead you to an answer that I want. And we get a whole lot of like cool backstory for Adam Warlock. So like there's a whole lot of his history sort of splayed through this book. And granted, it's not like in detail, but we see stuff when he was with the Avengers early and we see other pieces of like where he came from. So it's not really like a straight up origin story, but it has elements of that. He's just catching people up who aren't quite sure who he is. And obviously in the Marvel books or the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe, they've kind of foreshadowed him coming back. So bringing him back in the comics was kind of just a natural next step, I think. Yeah, I think this whole Infinity Chase is going to – this whole Infinity set of books is simply because of that happening. I'm I'm positive that's why it's happening. But as far as like setup – it's been interesting. I mean, it kind of started a ways back when the, the whole, like at the end of Legacy, to mention another book again, like Wolverine's running around with the gym at the end of that book. So, crazy. But yeah, as far as score, you know, I give it a three and a half. Like, like I said, Mike Allred's not my favorite on things, but this particular book is really good. Like, Man Man is really good. His Silver Surfer, 75% of the time, I thought was really good. I liked this. I like his Silver Surfer as well. His uh, Future Foundation, not such a fan. I like it. Didn't he do It Girl? Yes, he did. And I like that as well. Yeah, It Girl is really cool. I like his style a lot. It's real indie, and I'm a big fan of indie books, but like, it's just kind of different. It's not huge muscle, crazy, like, who's that guy that you really like? Layfeld. I like Rob just fine. Yeah, like his, his politics his are terrible. No neck drawing Captain America. <laughs> not always. Not always. Mm. Layfield aside, let's go to move on to uh, Legacy of Red Sonia. Man, this is from Dynamite. Uh, the way I understand it from from setup, this guy's a five part miniseries, which have done some other uh, legendary books, and so it's sort of set up stem- steampunky. So rather than just regular Red Sonia, you know, sword, broadsword, and chainmail outfit. This is a, a full of steampunk elements, um, story-wise and setup-wise. Uh, as far as uh, art is by uh, Igor Lima, and the uh, story is by Mark Andrusky. Andrusko? I think it's Andrusko. I'm pretty sure. Andreco? There you go, Andreco. And, and, and Igor Lima? What did I say? Igor. Igor, Igor, it's the same thing. Mm. Igor, like from Dr. Frankenstein? I think... Yeah. I think my biggest question with the whole book is, are we going to see a steampunk Conan eventually? I find it unlikely. That's dumb. Lots of reasons. I mean, at this point, the biggest reason, because Conan is shifting from Dark Horse Comics, who would play with Dynamite, because they would, over to Marvel. He's going to be a Marvel property by the end of this year. So, unlikely we will see a steampunk version of him showing up anywhere anytime soon. Little side story about Conan. I know we're not doing a Conan book. We're doing Red Sonia. So my dad tells me this story about when he was a little kid that his cousin collected Conan comics and he'd always buy one to read and one to put wrap up and put away. Well, my dad snuck into his bedroom one day and started opening up all the all the comics that um that were put away and he was sitting there eating his candy bars and reading his Conan comics that he wasn't supposed to be reading and then he got a pretty solid uh tanned hide from his cousin and he tells i, I don't know maybe it's just because of his old age but he likes to tell me that story on a regular basis so <laughs> that's, that's hilarious <laughs> my dad really likes conan and he kind of looks like king conan <laughs> i can see that 
<laughs> That's hilarious, actually. Take that, comic books, and take care of things. Kids. <laughs> I don't know where that, that, uh, okay, that's a good story. Uh, Alright, anyway, so book-wise, <laughs> man. So we join, we join Red Sonia, and she's in the middle of a card game, uh, in a bar. And, uh, the guy she's playing against, so she shows her hand, she has an ace, uh, what she have? She has an ace, uh, she has four aces, and then a, a king. And of course, he produces a set of cards that is a flush and also has an ace. And of course, he starts calling her into question, and of course, then she, uh, Accuses him of cheating, and then proves he was cheating, and that turns into a ballroom, like, brawl. Barroom brawl. There you go, not ballroom, like dancing. Barroom brawl. My God. It's kind of hard to fight, like, in a ballroom. No, not really. There's a lot more room. Unless it's, like, West Side Story, like, there dance. You go. That's out in the street, though. Yeah, but, like, but they're dancing, though. So yeah. Like a dancing brawl. Same, same idea. The only difference is there's more balloons. Anyhow, so, like, this, the fight starts, and, of course... That quickly turns the entire bar being against Red Sonia, and she has to flee. So in the process of doing that, she calls her ship, which is a submarine, um, to meet her at a certain place. And during this all is happening, we see some other figure who's tracking her from a rooftop. And as she goes, she's throwing out, I don't know, random weapons to disperse the other guys and shooting them, just showing off the steampunkiness of the book. Eventually she gets to the ship, she makes a giant swan dive to get to the ship, and Gets them to the bottom, tells guys to dive right away, because, of course, all these dudes have been up on the catwalk just shooting at her off the bridge and trying to take out the ship. And then we see the hooded figure throw this crazy, like, magnet with a chain down onto the ship and dive in after her. Now, the ship's already, the submarine's already sunk. So, she's being dragged along in the water. Now, we see that the girl, the person in the hood was a female, it was a girl. And uh, Red Sonya becomes alerted to this being a problem, because uh, the person's basically being dragged underneath the water. And that's going to lead to being dead, most likely. I guess she could just let go of the chain. I could. I mean, obviously she's there for, well, she's there for a reason, which we find out in a second. Uh, but that leads to Red Sonya suiting up in her dive gear to go save the girl. And from there, we want to find out that now the entire bar room are on their ships and chasing after the sub. Which is not like the smartest thing in the world, but at the same time, I mean, I guess he's super pissed, so, you know. It, it is simply weird to me that they're going after a sub the way they are. But that's all right, because he's got a rocket, a bazooka. He starts firing the bazooka at the water, which is why they went after it with the way they did. It's awesome. Anyhow, so he starts shooting rockets into the water, and of course Red Sonia fights in the ship, or fights around in the water, finally captures the girl, brings her inside, and then begins to uh, try to revive her, because she's uh, succumbed to the water. So that leads to some uh, mouth-to-mouth, which is what... Anyway, that read Harley Quinn's uh, Careful What You Wish For knows all about that. Power Girl, Harley Quinn, it's great. So she revives the girl, and then, of course, that leads to a shakedown where she basically threatens the killer. You know, that's normal. Revive her, then threaten the killer. Anyway, that leads to the crux of the story where she explains that she's looking for Red Sonya's help because her father, who's a warlord type, doesn't like her lover or her... Her star-crossed lover, so like Romeo and Juliet style, you got two different families, both families don't get along with each other, and because of that, both families want the kids dead. Like I said, West Side Story. is very much West Side Story. Jets versus the Sharks. Right. Well, eventually so. she convinces Red Sonya to help her, and then we wind up learning that maybe she's not really there because she wants to be there. And there's a pretty, uh, the reveal at the end is what sets up the rest of the story. Of course, it's going to lead to a chase, and you know, 
West Side Story style stuff. And wizards and yeah, thieves. Yeah, we definitely see a crazy, crazy wizard, which is kind of awesome. Very well, Mumra only, style. That's really the only fantasy element. Like, a, as far as Redstonia going steampunk, like, they could have, the story could have been basically anybody else that could have been introducing a whole new character and not been Red Sonia, and it would have been just as good. The fact they just put Red Sonia's name on it, I think, is makes it weaker, in my opinion. Um, Red Sonia, to me, has always been a fantasy character. Like, maybe they'll bring some more fantasy elements into it, but the steampunk thing, I think, has been a bit overplayed, and if they were going to do it, could have just... Maybe they're doing it just to sell the book, because she's a popular character, but... They make her out to be some like weird like pi- pirate ship submarine captain, and I don't know. Like I said, if there's not going to be any King Conan, then I'm not really into it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different book. Um, I don't know. Score wise, I give it a two and a half. I mean, the story's fine. It's it's fun enough. Um, as far as the rest of it, payoff wise, I think they're maybe the main reason it's Red Sonia is just because she's one of the well, she's one of the main characters that Dynamite has, property-wise. I mean, Red Sonia, Vampirella, um, The Shadow. There's a whole slew of them that they have. This just happens to be the flavor of this particular book. And as far as our being a pirate, I mean, that makes just as much sense as anything else from the she- from the whole Red Sonia line of things, especially if she's in a weird steampunk era. Well, the art's fantastic. It's really good. Um, yeah, agreed. It's very eye candy. Um, the story... Because it's issue number one, I think maybe it, it'll grow. Maybe they'll develop her more, make it a little bit easier to to like her. They're trying to make her. It's too much of a. I know they're trying real a little bit too hard. I only gave like one and a half. I wasn't a huge fan of it. So, but you gave me a choice either that or over that or Xena. So, like, maybe I picked wrong. Maybe that Xena book's fantastic. I don't know. I did like the Xena book. It was pretty good. I mean, I like Lucy Lawless. She's not, she, she doesn't look just like her. I mean, she's drawn sort of like her. No, but I, I liked the Xena show. Still, that's the Lucy Lawless is the basis of that, yeah. Exactly. If you guys get a chance, that Xena book's pretty good, though. Like, uh, it's basically a retelling of the origin of Xena and, uh, what's, what was her friend's name? The blonde one? Mm-hmm. I can't remember that. Not like Marianne or something. No, that was from an island. There's, <laughs> there's another girl with red hair and it's Ginger. That's a totally different character, too. So the next book is um, Marvel 2-in-1, The Thing and the Human Torch, number three. Um, I thought this book was fantastic. Before I even get started on what the story the story and everything, it was my favorite of the five that we went over today. So um, I really have always liked the Fantastic Four a lot. Like I I really I like the family element. I like how there's some the realness in that. And they only work together. And in this book, it kind of starts with Ben wants to help Johnny save his powers. His powers are starting to wane. And, uh, oh yeah, who wrote it? Zarsky? Chip Zarsky. Is that how you say it, though? Yep. Si, senor. It's drawn by, uh, I don't even know how to say that. Sheedy? C-H-I-T-I? Yep. Sheedy? He's shitty art. Valerio Sheedy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Curtis's favorite jokes. Sheedy art. Because he's fantastic. <laughs> it is a great book. It's a great team-up book. It's a great, like, friend book. I mean, 
the two the two have always been cool characters together because one's a hothead and jerk and the other one's like crotchety and grumpy and so it's kind of like you and me like we it play it's real well like <laughs> obviously i'd be the human torch in this because i can fly and you'd be the thing because you're kind of grumpy so that's that's what that's why I, maybe i enjoyed it <laughs> it's a terrible comparison but i could see it sort of and like I can fly like a human torch, not like Peter Pan, but like the human torch. That's like more like fast Peter Pan. And fiery. I've I've seen it. It's more like Peter Pan. <laughs> so anyway, it starts with uh, I guess Reed Richards set up a well. Doom tells Ben that. Well, so previous to this issue, like Sue and Reed are gone. Um, Where'd they go? Well, so there was another event that was called Secret Empire. No, not Secret Empire. Excuse me. That's incorrect entirely. That's Captain America story. <laughs> Man, Secret Wars. One star review right there. No, no. That's, well. So Secret Wars happened, and Secret Wars, they basically took all the different realities and smashed them into one, and it became Battle Planet. At the end of Battle Planet, if you guys haven't read that, then I guess you might want to skip this next part because I'm going to spoil that whole book. At the end of Battle Planet, Doom went from being Doom God, who was ruling all of it, to being returned to human-looking normal Doom, not burned, not connected to his metal anymore, separate. Looks kind of like Tony Stark, but without the mustache. Anyhow, and Reed Richards and Sue and the kids, Franklin and Valerie, all decided to go off into the cosmos along with the Molecular Man and create new realities. Because after Battle Planet and Secret Empire, not Secret Empire, Jesus, Battle Secret Planet. Wars, man, Secret Wars. The only reality left was one reality. All the other realities are gone. So, like, Miles Morales is in our reality. Old Man Logan is our, our reality. The Fantastic Four went off to create other realities, and since then, of course, we know that Spider-Gwen has her own reality, and there's been a few other show-ups since then. So there's a couple that never went all the way away, but the idea is that most of the realities were gone. And so Sue Reed and the kids off in the cosmos to make realities. But with that happening... They never returned to our real reality. So Johnny and the Thing have been on their own, with no real answer to where Reed or Valerie or Franklin or Sue are really at, because nobody really remembers that happening, save her Doom, Doctor Strange. There's a couple other random characters that remember Secret Wars, but not many. Most of them believe the reality's always been like it is, and Sue and Reed just disappeared. I guess Evil Reed Richards, who's still around also... Probably still, well, he should remember still. He was from the Ultimate Universe, and he's, he's Evil Reed Richards, so he definitely knows. But we haven't seen him in a minute. Anyway, in the slew of that, Doctor Doom decided he was going to regain his status as a person in general, because he decided after Reed sacrificed himself, sort of, to save everything, that he needed to be less Doctor Doomy, and built himself an Iron Man unit that looks Doctor Doomy, and then went around doing hero stuff, trying to make amends for his bad behavior over the last 70 years, I guess. Uh, he had a miniseries called In Infamous Iron Man. Well, it wasn't designed as a miniseries. It went around like 18 issues, so it was ongoing. It just it ended at 18. Really pretty good, but it, they ran in, he's run into the thing before during that storyline. In, in the issue previous to this issue, uh, Ben winds up finding a message that Reed left that was, well, actually, Reed Doom finds it. Gives it to the thing, and then the thing, knowing how broken Johnny is, just can't tell him the truth. And it's about, it's a message that was, that Doom found because 
Reed is supposed to be dead. I mean, this world doesn't have any clue where they are. Like, we know where they are from reading other stories, but the way the world reveals it, they're just gone. So Doom assumes they're dead because the message showed up. And that leads him to a micro, like a device that lets you experience, experience the microverse. So it's supposed to be something that would teleport you there. Anyhow, Ben Grimm fills... Huh? It's called the multi-sect. The multi-sect, yes. Well, Ben, not being willing to tell Johnny the truth about Sue and Reed just being dead the way Doom believes it, or the way he believes it, he told them that they were gone or lost in the multi-sect, and that they were supposed to use the device to find them in order to try to bring Johnny back from the brink of being lost. With all this going on, Johnny's powers have also been failing. Like, he's not as strong as he was, his fire doesn't work as good as it did, and he, he physically knows that something's wrong. And that's where we come into this book. Yeah, so the Thing and Johnny go on this little on this little journey, and they go meet up with Hercules. And, Heck yeah. And Hercules isn't drunk. He's drinking non-alcoholic beer in this. So he acts drunk, but he's not but actually drunk. he still acts drunk. drunk. Yeah. And he takes him to this weird place in the middle of the woods, and this doctor who's supposedly, supposedly be able to cure Johnny from his ailments, and she's there treating Hydra Man, so they get a little... Uh, they get a little feisty with Hydra Man, and they fight a little bit, like fire, water. And the doctor makes Hydra Man leave through the toilet, because, you know, water's water. And <laughs> Well, it's more, yeah, the way when she tells you that it, the front door's for good customers, you're a bad customer. And so she points to the bathroom, and he's like, water's water. And the way he goes, yeah, we find out the doctor's not exactly entirely on the up and up. I mean, she she's just doing it for the money, which, yeah, more power to her, sure. you know? Get it where you can get it. Yeah. Well, anyway, the thing and Johnny don't have any money, so they basically trick her. Well, they don't trick her. So they make a deal with her that if if they take her with them on their travels through the multiverse, that um, she'll cure Johnny. And come to find out, the thing and Johnny are both losing their powers because they're separated from Sue and Reed. And when the the, the longer that they're apart from each other, all four of them, they they're all going to start losing their powers. So my question is, before we get any further, is if the thing loses his powers, does he turn back human and not be rock anymore? It's a good question. So is the rock's just gonna start falling off of him, and then he's just no like, idea. That's a good question. Then he's Michael Childress underneath, like, or is it just gonna be, be the commission? Yeah. Or is he just gonna be a big thing of rock and like not be able to move because he's not strong enough to move himself? Don't know. Good question. So anyway, they uh they decide to go on this journey, and. Oh yeah, what's his name? The the Mad Thinker is in this as well, with Iron Man Doom. They have like their little side story going on. And then he like zaps, the Mad Thinker zaps Doom, and he then... teleports him away. Most of the Mad Thinkers, so the Mad Thinker is just he's a crazy guy who fought Reed Richards a bunch, and he's supposed to be super smart, but he's he's not an A list villain by any means. But he has realized that the Reed's not dead. And, and he's, he's, but he's also super, so useless without Reed. Right. So because he doesn't have the other piece for him to basically try to go after, he's completely, like, he's more nuts than normal, which leads to a pretty good, good cliffhanger at the end of this. I think he's going to set up a couple other books, so we should probably leave that off the page. But yeah, the Mad Thinker has a transformation towards the end that's, that's crazy. Like, really crazy. And then as we've talked about earlier tonight, about how... Wolverine makes random appearances at the end of books. Well, at the end of this book, Hydra Man tries to rob some guy in the middle of the woods for his food and things, and 
it ends up being Wolverine, so Wolverine's probably going to whoop up on him a little bit, hopefully. I assume so. Yeah, the random cameos are, they're weird. And I don't, I, I guess once you combine them all together, maybe they'll make some type of story, I guess. But yeah, it, it's, it was a weird, like, it, just a, the hunt for Wolverine, like it's a thing. But overall, I gave this book four and three quarters. I mean, the only reason I don't give it a full five is just because you have to really, you know, reserve a five for something that's real amazing. Sure. Well, there's, if you don't, if you don't know, like, all the pieces in there, even with all the pieces that you weren't aware of, it still scores out as a good book. And as far as the read by itself, it does have a paragraph at the beginning. Most Marvel books do. And the paragraph at the beginning catches up pretty good. Right. So, yeah, score-wise, man, I don't know. I give it a three and a half. Like, I like the way it's written. I like the art a lot. I mean, the art's great. As far as story, the story's good. It's very buddy cop, and that's really cool. It's neat when you add Hercules in there, just because he's so, like, ridiculous. And, like, that's all really cool. Like, reveals that we don't give away in this book are interesting. Like, the end one's super crazy. So, like, that's really cool. As far as a book, if this doesn't lead to a return of, like, a Fantastic Four book of some kind, I'd be surprised. And, like, as far as the four, I've never really been a Reed fan unless there's, like, a million Reeds. And I, I've said this before on the show. So, there's a storyline they did a while back where Reed finds this planet in the multiverse that is populated all by Reed Richards from different realities that all go there and they do projects and things. And then he finds out that they have a basement full of Dr. Dooms and shot callers and thinks maybe it's not a good idea for him to be part of it. And it's an awesome batch of stories. But other than that, Reed Richards, for me, I don't necessarily care. Like that batch of stories, because there's like, I don't know, a million reads was really cool. Other than that, I don't really care about Reed Richards, but I like Johnny and I like, like, I like Ben and I like Sue and the kids are fine. I like Valerie just fine. She's crazy. Well, as as far as the Fantastic Four goes, like a, a read book by itself would never do very well because it's just a really smart guy that has no social skills. But like they all make one another, and I think that that's what's good about it. There's a family; they all, you know, rely on one another, and you know, soothes the heart, reads the brain. You know, the thing is, well, I mean, I guess the thing would be more the heart is, and you know, Johnny Storms like is the rage. And then you got Herbie, the love bug, you know, that ro- that little robot's pretty cool too. Same thing, right? The, almost, but no. Yeah. It's similar. So Reed didn't make the love bug? Are you talking about Herbie the car? No. He did not Isn't make the, the same car. Thing? The, the robot no. and the car are the same thing? No. They're not the same thing. They just, when they, when they translate no, things. No, Lindsay Lohan drew the car. It has nothing to do with this at all. I thought when there was like a comic translating to a movie, they always change it a little bit. No. Especially no. when it's the Fantastic Four. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's true. But only because Fox made mistakes. And that had nothing to do with the love bug. Like, at all. Totally different Perfect. thing. Same thing. Totally different thing. Talking car, talking robot, same thing. Man, I, you'd put some Lindsay Lohan on that book. It's a five for me, for sure. It doesn't matter if she's original. drunk. Not the Lindsay Lohan. Ugh. Love her. Doesn't matter. Even trashy, like, post-drug addict it, Lindsay Lohan? E- e- no. Sure. <laughs> they, sure. I don't see it. I don't see why not. Everybody needs redemption, Josh. At least, at least some. I mean, kind of. That's enough about that. Silly Lindsay Lohan. What a bunch of mistakes. Anyway, all right. Well, man, let's move on to sideways. Uh, this is issue number one. Um, as far as uh, art, we've got uh, Kenneth Rockford doing the art, which is fantastic. 
this is Dan Did Dan Didio and Justin Jordan. Dan Didio. Dan Didio. 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 Pretty sure. I'm a. I. You know, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know for sure how to say that. Anyhow, um, as far as like story and write up and set up or whatever, that's who's working on the book. Uh, this is part of the uh, new batch of heroes supposedly coming out of metal, and I will give you this particular book does have a lean to where it tells you when it happens and how this becomes what it is. So that's really cool because the other couple really haven't, and this one definitely does. At least give you a placement in time as far as where it came from. Anyhow, so we open up the book and we're uh, with a uh, blonde girl wearing a crazy like tiger monster pajamas, like where the wild things are kind of pajamas. And she's brushing her teeth and, uh, you know, cleaning her face. And uh, she's all of a sudden sideways. Derek, our main character, appears behind her, which leads to her smacking the crap out of him. Because it turns out he appeared in her bedroom. Um, as far as power set, sideways ability is to open doorways basically anywhere and then jump through them and travel through them. And uh, Kind of like that. He's like kind of like Hayden Christensen. Yes, in Jumper a little bit. Yeah. Except way less entertaining. Which one, Hayden? Yeah. Yeah, he's terrible. Terrible. Anyhow, so that leads to, of course, her yelling at him. And she's like, you, you have to be quiet. He's like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to scare you. That wasn't what I was trying to do. Of course, you know, he's trying to get a peek because that's how things work in life. And uh, we want to find out that she's the one that made his costume. So she's this cosplay weirdo that builds costumes and goes to, to do shows and things. Which makes me think that maybe her outfit she's wearing, her weird pajamas, is like another costume thing. No, I see people wearing stuff like that at the mall. It's kind of like a weird fashion thing. Okay. Well, either direction. She's the one that's made his costume. And we see on her wall, like, a batch of wigs and, like, dress-up stuff. So she's got a knight's armor, a couple, like, pigtail wigs and, like, a straight-up anime-style green hair wig. So I'm guessing that's what her real deal is, that, that she's a costume person. Anyhow, as they talk, she says, you have to be quiet, or otherwise you're going you're gonna to wake up my sister. Well, we want to find out from there that she has a twin, and of the twins, she's the nerdy, like... Crazy one. Crazy one, and the, other, the sister is like a popular cheerleader type. Anyway, okay, so Ernestine tells Derek, oh yeah, my sister's going to... You, you don't want to wake up my sister. And at this point, like, we have this whole thing where she sort of hits him, and when she hits him, she's like, oh, that hurt. And he's like, what? She's like, your skin, like, you're really, really hard. And that's where he shows off by lifting up her dresser and like, so his super strength, I, whether that was something reviewed in the preview book or not, I don't remember that, that they did a preview a few months back in the back of a bunch of the books. So I don't remember if that was in there or not, but basically we get to showcase he has super strength. And anyway, she informs him that they need, she's going to need to get ready for school. And he, we hear a knock on the door and uh, he decides to open up a portal and Derek jumps through and Calling himself sideways as he jumps through to show off his name. Anyway, about that point, we get the door open and in walks uh, Emmeline. And Emmeline is the preppy sister. And this is the first time we see the two of them together. And they are polar opposites. Uh, Emmeline informs Ernestine, which is our crazy pajama-wearing uh, sister, that she needs to get ready for school because they have to go. And she tells her, oh, I am ready. And she's got, like, bunny face slippers on and this crazy jumpsuit thing. She's like, no, no. Like animal onesie. Right, gigantic animal onesie. That's it. Yeah, and it's, yeah, crazy colored stripes. Awesome. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm ready to go." She's like, "No, no, you can't wear that. You gotta get ready for school." Anyway, we jump from there to Derek's home, where we join his parents. And Derek's adopted, so his his mom and dad adopted him. And we want to find out a little later in the book that the event 
during Metal in Gotham is where he got his powers in the first place. And Mom was there too, but whenever he fell into the void, like, Mom didn't. So, Mom's very overprotective at this point, um, of, of their son. And so she's yelling upstairs for him to come down. Of course, we know he was over at Ernestine's hanging out, talking about his costume. Um, about that time, he, he ports back, runs downstairs and tells her, yeah, we, he, she tells him they gotta be ready for school now. And he tells her, oh, I'll be ready in five minutes. So that turns into 20. And she drives him to school to drop him off, which up until this point was normal. Apparently, prior to this, they were letting him drive himself and whatever, but now mom's super, like, overprotective about it. He gets back to school, and as he's wandering through school, he, we hear people whisper about him, about how, oh, he was the kid that was in Gotham, and he's a weirdo, he doesn't talk to anybody, and just how outsider style he basically is. And while that is going on, he basically is texting Ernestine the entire time about what he's doing and where, where they should meet for lunch or whatever. Then we get a flashback of the whole event in Gotham, and sort of get to see that page for page. And then we rejoin him in class, where he's kind of, he's not really being bullied, but, like, there's a couple of other kids who are like, I don't know, they're, they're not really nice to him. Like, they treat him like he's an idiot, and he's he's been in class, and he, now the class is, of course, ended, and he needs to get out, but he's still sitting there just daydreaming. Anyway, eventually that leads to him leaving school, and while Ernestine wants him to come join her and Emmeline and her posse of clueless friends, he's like, no, no, I'm going to go do some stuff with the suit. And so he teleports himself onto the roof, puts on the suit, and then teleports away, and he's taking selfies while he's doing it, which is crazy, and, like, talking to the camera, like, almost video, like, vlog-wise. Oh, yeah, everybody, you're following new sideways, and I want to be transparent show everybody everything, except for my secret identity, of course, because, you know, that would make my family not safe and stuff. So he's very, like, Spider-Man-esque, the way he the way he talks when he's in the suit. He's he's like Spider-Man. He's Peter Parker, except DC-flavored. Just before this, we wind up seeing we this voice panel appears on nowhere talking to him, telling him he needs to stop. And, of course, where he's at, there's nobody around him. It's like a voice that echoes in his head. So he starts running from the voice. And, of course, the voice follows him. And the entire time, we he can't see who it is. We can't see who it is. But eventually that leads to him hanging off a building in New York, like a skyscraper-style building. And it's Sam Jackson. No, that's not right. Anyway, we get a a, a reveal at the very end of who it is that's hunting him, who informs him he's going to be judged for his activity against, uh, I guess, reality. So his jumping, apparently, this particular entity has decided, is uh, worth a death sentence. Um, and that's basically where we leave it. I mean, that's a pretty big giveaway for the end, I guess. But the real setup is going to come in the next issue, because this thing is what's ever going to try to kill him. And the chase will be the next book. So, setup-wise, issue-wise, I mean, the art's great. I mean, Rockford's freaking amazing. The character's interesting. Like, I like him. He seems fun. I like Spider-Man, so... That flavor works for me. As far as the twins are concerned, I mean, they're interesting enough. I mean, they're just backstory characters, so I guess we'll see what happens with that. But overall, like setup-wise, all of the issue ones so far, I felt like there's pieces that are they're just they're there, but there's not quite enough. I mean, Damage had the same sort of problem. It wasn't bad. It just felt like there needed to be instead of the backup story that's in there, because there's a backup story about one of the other books they're going to debut. Maybe they need two more story, two more pages of story for him. I feel like the same way about Silencer and the same way about Damage. Um, I give it a three and a half. I mean, I love the art. I mean, Rockford, you can't beat because the guy's amazing. The costume's really cool. As far as the setup of opening portals and, like, super strength or whatever, I mean, the power set isn't a bad power set. 
So I guess we'll see where this interdimensional, like, judge thing, what exactly that's supposed to be. But I'd say issue one and two together would probably be stronger. But issue one by itself, I give it three. Give it like a one and a half. I, I, I think the, the same reason you like it is the same reason I don't like it. And that's because it's too much like Spider-Man, but it doesn't have the same heart. I, I like Spider-Man a lot. And so the fact that he do, he isn't, he's not Spider-Man and his powers are kind of, they're not telling you much about him. You're kind of like just like learning as you go. And I don't know. I just, I feel like it was kind of weak. I hopefully it gets stronger because I like DC. I think I, I usually they they have a way of making characters stronger as they go on. But I don't know. I I don't know where this is gonna go. Like even the the pseudo villain judge thing at the end. Like I've never even seen that before, so I don't know what it's all about. I don't know where it's coming from. It's brand from. new. I'm pretty sure. I I don't feel like we've ever seen it before. You know the the friend, the girl that he's hanging out with. She seems pretty fun and interesting, but. It's not enough to carry the book. It's kind of weak. Um, if if you've been following DC, if you want to see, if interested where it's going, like it's a good it's a good beginner book. It's kind of a, more of a teen book, I think. It's gonna Style of writing, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it is very Spider Man flavored. So the art is fantastic. I really do like. Oh sure, yeah. But well, like I said, I think number one and two together will probably be stronger, and I, and that's kind of a trend happening in a lot of books lately that I I don't like, but they're like designing these books to be trades. And I really don't like that. Like, if you have to read one, two together to make the book any good, you're messing up. Maybe you wrote a five-part arc, and that was what it's designed to be. That's that's how all trades work. But if you're expecting... I, I guess it's the wrong way to say it. So earlier today, I was Twittering with Jimmy Palmiotti about how he believes that everything should be trade-based, and how I think that's ridiculous. And I can see a couple of his points because he's all about presentation. And so he's a very businessman about it. And he's been in the game too long, I think, to remember what it was like when he was doing Ash and 22 Brides and Painkiller Jane. Because those books sitting on the shelf next to Spider-Man, Superman, Wolverine, when they're $1.25 or $2.25, depending on the era you're looking at them in, it's not that hard to try. But when it's a $20 book sitting there next to Spider-Man for $20, which one are you going to buy? I mean, most of us are going to buy Spider-Man. We're not going to buy Painkiller Jane because what the hell is Painkiller Jane? We're not going to buy Ash because what the hell is Ash? So I had a hard time agreeing with what he was saying simply because of that. And I think, I don't think the dude's totally wrong. I mean, presentation is definitely a big thing and people buy what they like, but here's the problem. In the current current setup in the world, you don't try things for 20 bucks because you just don't. You're going to buy Captain America. You're going to buy Wolverine. You're not going to buy some random nonsense from another company. You just aren't. And I think some people are missing that at this point. And, I mean, he's been a company man so long with Marvel, maybe he just doesn't remember that. He fully believes that Ash would have been bought anyway, because I said that to him. And he told me that he was positive it had been bought, but I have a hard time believing that. Not that he's positive about it, but I have a hard time believing that. What have I, I'm trying to remember when I was... In the 90s, when that book was coming out, and I saw it on the shelves, and I did buy it. I bought 22 Brides. I bought Panic with Jane. I loved all that weird stuff. But if they were a $20 bill to buy it, I don't think I would have. I think I, I think I would have stuck to my to my roots. I think I would have stuck to the tree and read Batman, because I love Batman. Anyhow, I don't remember what we were talking about just now. <laughs> Something about trade format. Oh, being written for trades. Yeah. 
when a book's written for trade and you have to read one, two, three, and four together in order to make the story any good, you're screwing up. So, do I think this book's damaged that way? No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's alright. But I think one and two will be stronger together. So, I guess there's my two cents about that nonsense. Anyhow, so from there, let's move into the interview with Ian Flynn, because that's a good way to segue to an interview. It's not. Not really. Don't, don't, hey, don't. You, I, hey, you're doing your best. Don't judge yourself, man. <sighs> it's not a good way to segue. Anyway, uh, this is an interview that Rob did with Ian Flynn back, uh, in the Denver's Comic Con this, this last year. Uh, Ian Flynn's gonna have a batch of Sonic books coming out now from IDW Comics. Uh, up to this point, he was with Archie doing Sonic and a few other books. But, uh, at this point, uh, his new series is gonna start coming out, I wanna say in April? March? Yeah, in April. Uh, it's gonna be weekly, at least at the beginning, so it's gonna come out super quick. So if you're Sonic fans, let your retailers know to buy it, because now it's not Archie. It's the same team working on it, so if you like the Archie books, you'll like the new books. Anyway, so we'll run that interview with Ian Flynn. This is Top 5 Comics Podcast, and I'm Rob, and I'm with Ian Flynn. Ian, so right now you're working on Jughead. Do you have something else in the works right now? Uh, there's a lot of things I've got going on right now. Unfortunately, most of it is hidden behind NDAs that I can't talk about. <laughs> but uh, you are most familiar with me for my work on Sonic the Hedgehog or Mega Man. Yes. I actually have a lot of people at the store that are big fans of, of Sonic. So. And they are well-cultured and intellectual individuals. This is definitely where we want to be. Um, so, what, what made you really think I, I want to get into doing to doing comics, to writing comics? Well, I was pursuing my English degree in university, and reality was catching up really fast. I realized that once I was out of college, I had to join the big people world, and if I wanted to do something other than ask, do you want fries with that? I needed to find something to do with that degree. So, I grew up reading the Sonic comic. I liked writing. So I figured, I'll write for the Sonic comic. How hard can it be? You know, breaking into the industry with zero experience and no actual practical knowledge of the craft. So it took me four years, but I actually got through to the editor in my senior year. This was around October 2015. And he said, you're not bad, kid. Let me show you how it's done. He took me under his wing, showed me the basics on how to actually write a script. I did some behind-the-scenes stuff, putting together data files and consolidating information. And being a big fan, it wasn't it wasn't really work. It was more like fun. And I was lead writer by March of the next year. Wow, that is, that is fantastic. So what, what is, like, the biggest difference going into writing a comic rather than doing other, other types of fields or other types of books? I, honestly, trying to go back to prose at this point is like trying to relearn a bicycle with your legs chained to the tree, it's because when you approach comic book writing, it's not describing it for a reader, you're describing it for the artist. You need to leave as little guesswork as possible so they can sit down, bang out the pages, and they're done. So the way I describe it is like, all right, so the script would be, you know, page one. <laughs> Panel one is this size of this shape. It is at this setting with this camera angle. These characters are present in these poses and this configuration saying this in this way. Panel two. And you do that for every single page till you get to the end. Okay. That's that's not at all like writing regular no. prose. No, I, I, yeah, it, it isn't. It's really a whole different thing. 
do you have a lot of contact with the the artists when you're working on it, or is it just you send it out and they send back what they've done? It varies from project to project, artist to artist. Some of them, after 10 years of working on the same book with them, we've got a really good rapport. They can shoot something to me real quick saying, was this what you were thinking? No, 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 a little more like this, or yes, you're a god, that kind of thing. Okay. Other stuff I've sent it out, and I haven't seen the final product until it's done. So most of the stuff that you've worked with has been with Archie. How, Almost how, exclusively. How has Archie been for you as, as a, a company to work with? Archie's always treated me right. Yeah. Uh, they've given me my career, basically. Yeah. And at my peak, I was writing four books a month for them. Oh, nice. Which was exquisite. I, I can't even tell you how many people I have that are just like big Sonic fans and whenever the, the Mega Man series started. There was a bunch of people that were all about it, so it was nice to have that crossover. And it always surprised me because when we, we first opened up, we were like, how many people are really going to be Sonic fans? Because I, when we first opened my store, I had so many people come in, like, you have Sonic the Hedgehog? And I was like, really, Sonic the Hedgehog? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's always been a staple for us. Because it's, it's basically what you want in a superhero book. Yeah. Except with all, all the trappings and the baggage that superhero books have. It's bright, colorful characters. It's heroes doing heroic shit, villains being villainous, but with a little bit of depth to it. Yeah. No rape, no... I was really on the drugs all the time, Ollie! Yeah. I'm not saying that it's you know, on the same level as some other super books, and that you don't necessarily have to have everything squeaky clean, but... Sometimes you don't want the drama. We live in enough drama. Yeah. Escape. Yeah, sometimes, oh my God, sometimes it's just it's nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have no voice tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. No, it's not you. I did two panels today, and I've had incredible showings of the show. Nice. Like people who came specifically to see me. That's awesome. And that's always just like. It doesn't matter that I work for six months. I've had people come from Chicago specifically to go to this show so they can say, see Yes. I mean, there's no higher form of flat. I, I can't even imagine. Like, it, that's one of the big things that I would really like at some point in my life to be able to create something and have people come and see my stuff and be like, oh, yes, you're in my costume. Okay, so for, for the fans that I know that are, are Sonic fans, is there. Any new characters or properties that you'd like to introduce that Archie hasn't acquired yet? Or Oh, shoot. If it's a video game that has even the inkling of a story, I would love to be on yeah. uh, Pretty much anything from the Nintendo staple, I'd be all over. Uh, a lot of the old Sega properties, Rystar, uh, oh, shoot, with Vector Man, I could make... I mean, because he's, he's a garbage man who saves the world, because nobody else will. It writes itself. It's robots that transform, but he's just like a working class bum, you know? And then this guy with the warhead for a head, he starts taking over stuff. Ah, it's a living. You know? <laughs> Come on, he would. You know, oh, it's a gold mine. So, basically, if you've got a pitch and I'm free, I'm ready. All right, so if you were trapped on a desert island, what five items would you take with you? Five items or yeah, five comics? They can be people, comics, equipment, whatever. Well, the obvious answers would be food, shelter, you know, something to clear, clean the water with, but that I don't think is what you're going for. Uh, I'd hate to strand her as well, but I would think my wife would be good company. Yes. Um, if we had to pick a game system, I'm going to go retro with the Dreamcast. She'll hate me for it, but 
Some, sometimes you have to make choices. You, you and do. the Dreamcast you is a good choice. And you know, if we've got Seaman in there, that's a third person to just hang out with and talk to George Takai. That's true. Come on. Yeah. Um, might as well take the entire collection of Bone because that's a good read, no matter how many times you go through it. Okay. And we're gonna go with Shelter and Water from there. <laughs> All right. All right. No, that's that's it's a good way to go. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh dear. Not that. My <laughs> my grandfather and my father are both in the theater. Okay. I've grown up with an appreciation for musical theater. So pretty much any musical you trot out there, I will belt. And I can actually hit those notes 90% of the time. Nice. So so a collection of musical theater. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'll hum along to Hamilton because I can't rap to save my life. I am whiter than mayonnaise. It's not going to happen. But... <laughs> I appreciate it for what it is. All right. If you were in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Only to my destination, and then I would eat that horse. So, so you'd ride it to the destination, and then you'd eat the pony? Well, yeah, you can't make glue out of it. It's chocolate. That's true. It would make lousy glue. It would, exactly. it would be chocolate glue. It's it practical, just, man. Practical. It would just fall apart over time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't really give a whole lot of books to look forward to for you, except for Archie. Because they're, they're still in the, the pending stage. I will say, if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, go to my website, BumbleKing.com. That's yes. Bumble like the bee, King like the reigning monarch. Or you can find me on Twitter, at IanFlynnBKC. That's where I promote all that I've got going on. And as soon as I can talk about it, you better believe I'm going to be pushing. Excellent. All right. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with Rob. We'll chit-chat a little bit about Sonic and whatnot. Fun guy. Um, super neat. So definitely pick up his, his books now coming out from IDW. Um, like I said, it's going to be coming out pretty quick, so let me let your retailers know so that way they can get copies ordered for you. Uh, anyway, uh, well, let's see. So Josh, what did you learn today? Um, I learned not to play with fire, not to drink chemicals from under the sink, um, knowing's half the battle, and don't talk to strangers. See, just like Adam Warlock, Josh was hatched from a cocoon today, so he had a lot of learning to do. A lot. I am curious about this. So, I was thinking about this today, and this isn't comic related, this is just a life lesson. So, I think ten years in the past, you... Never talk. You're, you were taught not to talk to strangers or get into cars with strangers or any of those things. But now that they have like this Uber app, you like basically give a stranger your location, and then you go and get in the car with a stranger for them to drive you somewhere. And it just seems like, extra dangerous. <laughs> that is a good point. Uh, that is an odd way to think about that. And I will give you, there has been occurrences where uh, fake Uber drivers have showed up to uh, collect people. At least one that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's probably been others, probably. It's like fake news, like making people scary about stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll give you that. Kind of like how my dad used to tell me when I was a kid that, like, the rub-on tattoos and the bubble gum had acid in them, so, like, not to put the tattoos on you because you would die from acid. <laughs> but that's not real. Like, it was just one of those things that he scared me about is that I was just afraid of everything. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. That's, that's, that is ridiculous. Radical Robbie Roberts. It's awesome. It's wrestler dad. It's great. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, well, what did I learn today, Josh? 
Um, I'm not sure if you're going to invite me back to do another podcast with you. Maybe you learn that. That's not something you learn. That's something you know at the beginning. Uh, I don't think I knew today before today that by reading Detective that like when Batwoman takes her cowl off, like the hair is part of the cowl. Oh yeah. I didn't know that. See, that's what you learned today. So like for real, I did learn that. Yeah, exactly. See, real things do happen. Knowing how the battle you should have known for years. G.I. Uh, Joe. I know. Speaking of G.I. Joe, this is the last year for the G.I. Joe uh, Collector's Con. That's true. It's the last one Last one they're going to do before Hasbro takes back over and ruins it. Yeah. Or we get Hasbro Con, and it's a much bigger show. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to do like con exclusives, know. though. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they didn't. I mean, they do them for San Diego. They do them for New York, don't they? Well, maybe just San Diego. I guess I don't know if New York gets any or not. I think they do like New York Con exclusives periodically. Um... I also learned today that they canceled the um, sequel to the Transformers, the, the current Transformers movie, The Last Night or whatever it was called. Right, the Marky Mark movie. They're not doing the sequel to that anymore. Apparently they canceled not. it, and they're just doing the Bumblebee movie. Which is also weird. But if they're heading towards this connected universe like the comics, that's a step in the right direction. So, it's possible... Keep your fingers crossed, we get another G.I. Joe movie, and then maybe a Mask movie, a ROM movie, and then everybody in the same world. 2020 is the G.I. Joe movie. Um, Action Man is coming out. Right. 2019, I think they said. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's all setting up to be that whole revolution, one universe thing. So, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, at this point, the comic books, the main crux of it is ROM, so... If he's not in the mix somewhere, then the other movies don't go anywhere, I guess. But I'd love a Toaster Head movie. I think it'd be great. Rob's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I do know that I love The Rock, and I hope they bring him back in the next G.I. Joe movie. He's a really good roadblock. He's he's a fun guy. I think his Black Adam will be great. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll see. Do uh, you got any books to watch, Josh? Books on the horizon? Reprints on the horizon? I know they're doing a... a that Monday book you like so bad. Blue Monday? Oh, yeah. They're doing another Blue Monday? They're doing a reprint, reissuing through Image. Oh, right. I saw that. Yeah. She she did the art. I've seen her in several different things, but she got remarried, I think. And then, so it's not China Cluxton Major anymore. It's China Cluxton something else. Right. And she did the art for that Saved by the Bell comic that I read. Yep. That I had you track down for me, which was kind of hilarious, like a modern take on Saved by the Bell, like. It's ridiculous, but yes. Yeah, and I love me some Saved by the Bell. That's true. So That's you like true. ROM, I like Saved by the Bell. Stupid things. It's very true. Although, it's probably possible that there's a whole lot of Illuminati messages hidden in Saved by the Bell. So a whole video about that yesterday. Weird. Uh, anyway, so books to watch. I, I would suggest watch for Analog, uh, coming out from Image Comics. Uh, it's a take on the future where, because the internet is so easily hacked, you have to go back to paper trail in order to send messages that people can't just find and so we have a main character who is basically a delivery man and uh, that's what he's paid to do and all about him keeping secrets safe so like a courier type type book and i think that'll be fun um i think that uh, yeah i like i like the style for it the setup for it the couple pages they teased are really cool um doom patrol is gonna have his new series start after this whole annual crossover so that should be cool, too. I mean, if you like the first series, which is super chaotic, uh, the second series, I don't doubt, would be any different. It's still drawn away doing it, so that should be cool. Mother Panic AD, I think, will be really cool, but only because I really like Juddie Hauser, and I like that Mother Panic character, 
how that works in general, not sure yet, but I think it'll be fun. Uh, there's another one coming out from Image. Uh, gosh, the art and it's beautiful. Um, Isola, I think is what it's called. Isola. I showed you in the previews a minute ago, but I can't remember what it's called. I'm excited for Superman Action Comics 1000 to come out. That should be really cool too. There's a lot of interesting stuff about it now out there. A lot of different covers. Uh, it's gonna have a bunch of, uh, which I probably said this before on the show, but whatever. It's gonna have a bunch of generational covers, like a 1930s Superman cover, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1990s. So there's gonna be a whole bunch of different variant covers, and most of them seem to be orderable. So I guess if you're into chasing them, uh, talk to your retailers. God, I said that a lot this show. I usually don't say that ever. The things you said a lot this show, polar opposites. That's true. No, I only said it once, really. You said it like five times. No. Um, tell your retailers. Not in the show. Tell your retailers. Yeah, I said that a lot this And you called me handsome several times. That's also not true. You're going to edit it out. I know it, but you <laughs> did say it. So not true. But anyway, I remember, radio. I remember Action Comics 700 coming out. Yeah. And I just did some quick math on my phone. And if, if you figured one issue a month by 300 issues, that's 25 years ago. And I guess that would be right. I guess I would have been. Well, you gotta, you gotta give 12 it. years old. I guess that would make sense. I went, I was 12 years old and Superman Action Comics number 700 came out. And that was like a big milestone back then. So Action Comics 1000. I know you guys talked about it the last few weeks, but like, um, it's, it's a huge deal. That's, 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 no, that, that's a is. massive number. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they've kind of cheated getting to the number because like this last two years of rebirth, actions come out twice a month. So it makes you a year, year older. But it doesn't change it. But as they far also as went time, through some years where they not they didn't come out every month either. Maybe they're making up for lost time, I guess. But either way, one thousand is a crazy number. It's a crazy thing. I still wish the rebirth or not rebirth, New Fifty Two wouldn't have ended their previous run because that would have been really cool to have one volume and thousand issues. But the fact they returned the old numbers and added in the other fifty two kind of make it kind of makes up for it, I guess. It's going to be a big issue, too. I mean, the the whole 80-page thing and being, like, bound like a mini-trade, like, that'll be really cool. So, yeah, I know, fairly excited for it, just because there's so many things happening. I mean, they're going to do the story for the Red Shorts. They're going to have the first uh, Brian Michael Bendis story in there. There's the first Tom King Superman story in there. So that stuff should be really cool, just story-wise, like, as far as who's doing it, who's working on it. I mean, Jim Lee is going to be doing a... Well, he's doing a couple of the covers, and I want to say he's drawing the... He's supposed to be drawing the Brian Michael Bendis story too, so that's really cool. Did you see that Marvel tried to con, or not con him, but tried to bribe him to stay by giving they him did. Deadpool and Wolverine? They did. And he still said no. Yeah, that's an interesting situation there. Apparently they threw all the Marvel, all the Wolverine, Deadpool at him they could, and he was like, yep, yeah, I'm good. He wants to be a peacock. He wants to spread his wings and fly. <laughs> that's a weird way to describe that, but I'll, I'll give you. I guess we'll see, because like, the action comics and the Superman stuff that's been going on has been really good. I mean, Peter Tomasi's fantastic. Patrick Gleason, fantastic. Uh, Dan Jurgens, awesome. Now, Grant, he does return to the roots a little bit, and the most recent story has been a batch of Booster Gold stories, though, and that's freaking great. Like, awesome. So it's sad to see them shift or move or go on to something else, just because they've been so good. I mean, I'm assuming Tomas will probably stay with Super Sons, which is fine, because it's really good. He's writing both of them. Uh, I guess we'll see where Jurgens lands, and maybe we'll get a Booster Gold series again. That'd be pretty cool. 
Uh, would that be cool? A Booster Gold series with Dan Jurgens writing and then Patrick Gleason drawing. That'd be pretty cool. I'd like that a lot, actually. It'd be like peanut butter and jelly. Okay. Or, Grant, that... or Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Oh, <laughs> Cassandra Nova be damned. S- stupid. Stupid X-Men. All right, that's all I got. I was hoping I had some more books to think of while I was talking with that. So, anything else, Josh? Don't die. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible closing. <laughs> but he's right. I mean, I guess don't. That's. But if you do, next month, or ne- the next batch of elections here in, in Junction, you vote for Victor Yan, because he's a man who will care about you and take care of you. It's Wonder true. Why? Yeah. He's running for county corner. Oh, yeah. The man is a... He's a decent, upstanding individual, and that's not not a joke. Like seriously, great guy. I I could never do what he does ever. Like he's an amazing individual. So when you see them balance, Victor Yan, that's to do the vote for. And if you don't vote, you need to vote this time because guy's a good guy. Anyhow, um, I guess that's all I got. So I hear if you register to vote, they steal your soul. That's that's when they take pictures of you. So everybody's screwed. Because people take pictures all the time. That's what the Indians taught us. No? Yeah? Sure. Not only me? Okay. <laughs> the key! Don't die.